Thank you, Rob Arias, for sharing those announcements with us. Uh, Praise the Lord, Risen Hope Church. I want to invite you to meet me in the book of Acts chapter 8, the book of Acts chapter 8. I do have a quick announcement before we read the scripture and pray. We're calling for a special season of prayer for Pastor Tim. In addition to his long headaches, Tim has experienced severe back pain due to three herniated discs, six bulging discs, and arthritis, advancing arthritis. We're calling for a special Zoom season of prayer this Wednesday, 7.30 p.m., and hope you will join us. Look for an email with the Zoom information. Now let's read from Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise, go toward the south, the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep He was led to the slaughter like a lamb before his shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth In his humiliation. Justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when he came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. Anoint the preaching of your word that your people may be edified and that souls may be evangelized. In Jesus' name we pray, and the people of God say, amen. In our exploration of the book of Acts, we have been talking about the Spirit of the Lord. When the Spirit of the Lord falls and fills his church, certain things began to happen. The New Testament church, the New Testament church full of the Spirit life, is marked by a pervasive Christ-centeredness, a fearless and effective evangelism reverent God-fearing holiness, radical generosity and hospitality, 
ceaseless prayer, stunning signs and wonders, and a ministry of encouragement. When the Spirit of the Lord falls and fills his church, believers become marked by spirit-driven mission to make disciples of Christ. Can I get an amen out there? Acts chapter 8, Luke reveals to us the engine and catalyst behind fearless and effective evangelism. For you recall in chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus promised his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and all the other parts of the earth. And for our purpose today, pay careful attention to those last few words of Jesus' mission statement. We will see an execution of that mission taking place in Acts chapter 8. Well, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's the engine behind the mission to make disciples. We can't do any gospel ministry without the guiding presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Even in the Great Commission to his disciples, Matthew chapter 28, Jesus declared, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go make disciples. We've been authorized to make disciples of Christ. Eight chapters later, God's sovereignty allows persecution to break out in the church. Persecution becomes the catalyst to expand gospel footprint beyond Jerusalem. Notice with me how the scene opens in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. His execution was referring to Stephen, the prior chapter. Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit in faith. He was stoned to death for proclaiming the unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. He was a true witness indeed. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the region of, of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. But then something amazing and beautiful happens in the midst of this pandemic persecution. Verses 4 through 8. Persecution exploded in the New Testament church. And believers were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria like glowing embers from a fire, igniting new fires wherever they landed. And Philip was an extraordinary example of one of those fires that burned brightly in the midst of sudden chaos. You see, living a, a spirit-prompted life is marked by a mission to make disciples of Christ. When the Spirit of the Lord prompts you, you will do three things. You will go wherever he sends you. Number two, you will go to whomever he sends you. And number three, you will get good at introducing people to Jesus. Let me give you the first one. When the Spirit of the Lord prompts you, you will go wherever he sends you. Now, verse 4, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. The scripture says in verse 5 that Pete, that, not Peter, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. 
although Philip was scattered due to persecution, he wasn't lost or confused. He had a strong sense of direction. Many of us have been scattered from the impact of this pandemic, but we're not lost. The Lord is with us and he is guiding us through it. Philip, who was introduced to us in Acts chapter 6 as one of the seven men chosen to minister to the growing needs of the congregation. He was indeed a man on mission. In fact, he was a disciple on fire. I consider him a maverick. Philip went down to Samaria. He went where other people would not go. Parenthetically, John's gospel tells us that the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans, for they were a half-breed of Jewish people who only kept the five books of Moses and throughout the rest of the Old Testament. The animosity that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans was so bad that the Jews would travel miles around Samaria to get to Galilee instead of going through it as a shortcut. Philip, being a Jewish believer, doesn't allow his ethnicity nor his filter to get in the way of his mission to make disciples of Christ. Verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Philip crossed racial divide. The, new, the, new, the good news of Jesus Christ was being preached by this man across racial lines and barriers were being broken. Walls were coming down. And the crowds with one accord, the scripture says, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For the unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed and the lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Revival was in full throttle. When the spirit of the Lord prompts you like Philip, you go wherever he sends you. Then out of nowhere, Philip received this call from the Lord in verse 26. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Can you imagine how baffling it might have been for Philip in the midst of leading a massive citywide revival in Samaria, witnessing a multitude respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Then suddenly an angel of the Lord redirects him from a place of plenty to a place of empty? <laughs> from mass revival to remoteness? From a place of joy to uncomfortably hot and inconvenient desert? Could he be, what was he thinking during this time? Not me? Not now? Not there? Scriptures doesn't say that. This was an unusual call. You see, this kind of language God used when he called Abraham out of the Ur of Chaldeans. He says, go, get out of your land and go to a land that I will show you. It was reminiscent of the time when God called the prophet Elijah into the desert. This had to come from an angel of the Lord. <laughs> It was like God was calling Philip 
into the middle of nowhere. What was going through his mind when the Lord commanded him to go south down the road to Gaza? This is a desert place. Philip was functioning on very little information from the start and had to wait for further instructions. This was a man of faith and obedience to the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit prompts you, like Philip, you go wherever he sends you. Even if that place is unusual, please don't get caught up in that place. It's the people in that place that God is concerned about. Ananias was called to a street called Straight for no other reason than the minister to Saul turned Paul. The scripture says in verse 27, and he rose and went. Philip shows us that at the heart of spirit-driven mission to make disciples of Christ is obedience. Not only do we go wherever he sends us, but number two, when the spirit of the Lord prompts you like Philip, you go to whomever he sends you. Now the reason for traveling in the desert becomes obvious to Philip. Verse 27, 28. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot with very little information. Luke thought it was worthy enough to slow down to give us a detailed description of this man that Philip will encounter in the desert. There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. You see, this, that man was a dark-skinned man. He was Ethiopian. Ethiopian in biblical times was much larger than the modern-day Ethiopia. It was ancient Nubian kingdom south of Aswan on the now Ezekiel chapter 29, verse 10. It was located on the continent of Africa. These Africans descended from Cush, one of the sons of Ham, whose father was Noah in Genesis chapter 10. This was the land where Queen Sheba came from. She saw the glory of King Solomon and his kingdom. This is significant because it verifies God's promise in Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 9 through 10 about followers of God who would come from Cush, that is Ethiopia, and as Tony Evans highlights, that God desires to call to himself people from the African continent to serve him in covenant community with all people groups. This is also a record of God pushing out the gospel beyond Jerusalem into the other parts of the earth as he commanded his disciples. Notice here that he was a eunuch. He was a castrated male who served the queen. The king of Ethiopia could trust his queen with this man. The Jewish law allowed foreigners to convert to Judaism, but because the Ethiopian was a eunuch, he could not fully participate in the temple worship. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, 
that no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. But this man had hope. God had this man marked with favor. The Old Testament predicted that a day would come when foreigners and eunuchs would no longer be excluded from the fellowship of God's people. Not only was he an Ethiopian eunuch from Africa, but he was a VIP. He was a very important person. He was a high-ranking official in his country, a nobleman, a nobleman who, was, who wasn't to be approached lightly. That's why it was almost dangerous for Philip to approach this high-ranking official. You see, it wasn't unusual for the Lord to go after such individuals, considering the massive influence that they would have on others. Even in the Gospels, the Lord would reach one to go after the many. Think of the number of occasions, even in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit guided his disciples to several influential individuals in the book. Simon the musician, who was seen as the power of God in Samaria for a very long time until Philip brought the gospel in chapter 8. Saul of Tarshish in chapter 9, of course, wreaking havoc on the church. Peter miraculously raises Ananias, who was bedridden for eight years, resulting in all the residents of Lydda and Sharon responding to the gospel of Christ. Then there was the raising of Dorcas, a disciple full of good works and charity, who suddenly fell ill and died, Acts chapter 9. Then there was Cornelius, the centurion soldier, in chapter 10 and Lydia in chapter 16, and the Philippian jailer in chapter 16. The Spirit led Paul to Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, who believed in the Lord as a result of that encounter. The Spirit led Priscilla and Aquila to a devout man named Apollos in chapter 18. You see, the common thread between these people was their circle of influence. So many responded to the gospel as a result of their conversions. This was a high official, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Candace was a traditional title of the queen mother, responsible for performing the duties of the reigning king, who was thought to be too sacred for such duties. He was deified. This Ethiopian eunuch, was also a VWP, a very wealthy person. He was a CFO, chief financial officer. He was the court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He was also a very trustworthy individual because he was a eunuch. And if you allow me to use my imagination, he was wealthy because he was riding in a Bentley chariot. The chariot probably was four-wheeled, covered vehicle like an ox cart, large enough to accommodate the eunuch, his driver, Philip, and a possible another servant who would be reading the manuscript aloud if the official was not reading it himself. Not only was he a very wealthy person, but he was a, a VRP. He was a very re religious person. One writer said he was at once exotic, powerful, and pious. And as a wealthy man, he possessed his own copy of the Old Testament scripture, and at least we know he had the scroll of Isaiah. What's even more remarkable is that this man 
was from Ethiopia and Africa and had, tr had come all the way up to Jerusalem, at least 500 miles journey to worship God. Piper said, of all the Gentiles, the Lord sovereignly sets his favor upon this man to bring him to Christ. Despite being a very religious person, he was a VLP, a very lost person who desperately needed Christ. No matter what your background or how you dress it up, whether you are from the main line or the soup line, everyone needs Jesus. This man might have been a student of the Torah in the book, constantly reading and studying and pondering, but he was confused about the person Isaiah was referring to. Bottom line is he was spiritually dead and needed the life of Christ. This royal official used to be sitting, he's used to be sitting with the queen and king, but he had never met the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he was about to meet him. When the spirit of the Lord prompts you, you go wherever he sends you. You go to whoever he sends you. But then thirdly, you get good at introducing people to Jesus. Look at verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? Philip was good at approaching others with the gospel. You can tell from his introduction that his style of witnessing to individuals was relational and conversational. He was a good listener and he knew how to ask the right kinds of questions. Do you understand what you are reading? God often invites people into unlikely places, his people, into unlikely places to meet people who don't look like us. The question is, will you go? Will you approach them and spark up a conversation? Will you ask them a question like Philip did? Will you sit with them? Will you share the greatest news about Jesus Christ with them? This was clearly a divine appointment. This is why I'm convinced that we need to pray for open doors of opportunity to share our faith with those who don't know Christ. Sometimes you don't even have to venture out into a deserted place like Philip or like Bill Davis did a couple months ago. All you have to do is step foot outside the door of your house and talk to your neighbor. It's as simple as that. Donna Whitney highlighted that throughout John Bunyan's life, the author of The Pilgrim's Progress, insisted that the, that the conversation of some poor women talking of the things of God while sitting in a sunlit doorway was a critical turning point in his coming to know Christ. Believe that the Lord can use what you say as a catalyst in a conversation. The question is, will you go? Parenthetically, we can't assume that just because someone is reading the Bible, knows a few verses, or even goes to church, truly knows Christ. The Pharisees searched the scriptures diligently, but they were still lost without the Lord. Cornelius prayed religiously, but he didn't know Christ. Nick, Nick at night or Nicodemus was a nice guy. Very religious, but he didn't know Christ. Saul, in the next chapter, was radically religious, but completely lost. He didn't know Christ. You see, Philip 
understood the urgency of the moment. He ran in the heat of the day to catch up with the chariot. Philip had such a big heart for mission and discipleship that he refused to let the unit get away. <laughs> Philip had to be operating in spirit-filled boldness to step up to this royal official. Philip was not afraid. Charles Hatton Spurgeon said that if sinners, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. And if hell will be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let no one go there unworn or unprayed for. The question is, will you go? Verse 30, Philip ran to him. He, he understood the urgency of the moment. And he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? The unit was reading out loud, which was a common practice to read scrolls out loud in that day and age. It was loud enough for Philip to hear. And he was also a, a great listener. The eunuch doesn't respond, of course, and say something like, well, um, understand what I'm reading? How could I not understand what I'm reading? Why would I be in this position of power if I don't know what I'm reading? No, he doesn't respond like that. He responds with utter humility. He says, how can I unless someone guides me? He did not understand what he was reading. <laughs> don't you wish that the Lord gave you divine opportunities like that to share the faith with other people that reading the Bible don't understand what they're reading and then they ask you the question, well, I don't really understand unless someone guides me. Louis Krokeberger, an author, said many people today don't want honest answers insofar as honest means unpleasant or disturbing. They want a soft answer that turneth away anxiety. Not this man. He was ready to receive what Philip had for him. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to that theologian Charles, Charles Hodge, who said that the gospel is so simple that small children can understand it. And yet it is so profound that the studies by the wisest theologians will never exhaust its riches. Think of it. The Holy Spirit so gripped this man's heart with Isaiah 53, chapter 53, and would not let him turn the page. He couldn't get away from it even if he tried. He needed the answer. Perhaps heard, heard the passage being read earlier that day. He was stuck, headed home empty through a hot, barren desert, thirsty for something more than mere knowledge or religious routine. Not sure what or who, but in his mind he, had full of questions. he was full of questions. And yet the Holy Spirit opened his heart to hear the gospel. Philip had what he was looking for. Could it be that you might have what people are looking for? Verse 31, and he said, how can I unless someone guides me? 
and he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The Holy Spirit is the one who unlocks understanding of God's word. First Corinthians chapter two, verse 14. The natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. For he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You see, Philip took observation of a man who was stuck on interpretation. Once Philip, through the Spirit, cleared up his interpretation issues, he led the man into a perfect application. Dr. Luke shared a portion of Isaiah chapter 53 right here. Verse 32. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. And guess what the eunuch asked Philip? About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this about? About himself or someone else? He desperately needed to know the answer to that question because that answer will change everything in his life. You see, there were a few circulation, a few interpretations circulating during that time among the Jews. Some thought that the suffering servant in Isaiah 53 was the nation of Israel itself. And as Israel had suffered greatly in wars and exile and persecution, some thought that the suffering servant was Isaiah writing about himself. Some thought that the suffering servant was a Messiah, but found this hard to accept. Because they didn't want to think of the Messiah as suffering. Then Philip opened his mouth, the scripture says, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip got good at telling people about Jesus. The text tells us of the Messiah being silent before it shears. You see, the Ethiopian eunuch had no idea the scope and the magnitude of what he was reading. But Philip opened his mouth and told him the good news about Jesus. Jesus, who was abused by the Sanhedrin, yet he remained silent. Jesus, who was ridiculed by Herod Antipas, yet he remained silent. Jesus, who was scourged by Pontius Pilate, yet he remained silent. Jesus, who was mocked by the Roman soldiers, yet he remained silent. And all his dignity is stripped away from him, and yet he remained silent as a sheep before his shears. One commentator elaborates and says that Jesus had 12 legions of angels, swords drawn, spears shining are standing on heaven's battlements waiting to burst upon a planet that is on the cusp of, the crucify, of crucifying the Son of Glory. One word from Jesus is all they need. And they're ready to stomp flat the hills of Judea and turn the waters of Jordan red with blood. But that word never comes. The text tells us of his condemnation and his death. Jesus was silent because we were guilty before God. Jesus died in our place. 
It was that beautiful exchange of my unrighteousness for his righteousness. No wonder the eunuch reads the text and he wonders why this man's own life, the people deprive him of justice, the posterity of children, and ultimately his life. He had no idea what he was reading. Phil, Philip told him, the man, about Jesus. Jesus did it for us. He died in our place for us. Could it be that God is initiating his pursuit of you right now? Right there in your living room or your kitchen or your dining room or your basement? Could it be that he's gently pursuing you by his spirit? Malcolm Muggeridge, a socialist and philosophical author, wrote, I had a notion that somehow, besides questing, I was being pursued. Do you possess that inner notion, the conviction of the Holy Spirit right now that God is pursuing you? You can run, but you can't hide. C.S. Lewis said he remembered night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. I gave in and admitted that God was God. And I knelt and prayed, and perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. Lewis went on to write a book entitled Surprised by Joy as a Result of Knowing Jesus as His Savior. Look at verse 36, showing us the impact of this Ethiopian eunuch's conversion. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water in the midst of a desert, an oasis. Incredible. What, pre presents, what prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And they came up out of the water, and the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This shows that Philip started preaching not only to the Samaritan cities, but also to the Gentile cities as Caesarea. This marks the beginning of the gospel mission spreading to the ends of the earth. You see, the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized as a result of his faith in Christ. And, 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 and watch this, this water baptism did not save him. His faith in Christ saved him. We are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God and not of works, lest anyone should boast. His faith is what saved him. This water baptism, though, is an outward expression of an inward conversion experience and true confession of faith in Christ. An outward expression of an inward conversion experience and true confession of faith in Christ. Living a spirit-prompted life is marked by a mission to make disciples of Christ. When the Spirit of the Lord prompts you, you go wherever he sends you. You go to whomever he sends you, and you get good at, Introducing people to Jesus. 
as I close, there is much left to our imagination with this passage as it ends. The scripture tells us here clearly that when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went away rejoicing. He went away rejoicing. Much is left to our imagination as the gospel impacted this man. What impact would he have on Africa? But what we do know is that he held a prominent position of influence and he was radically transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and he went home overflowing with incredible joy, the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Interestingly, sources tell us that the Coptic church, greatly persecuted today in Egypt, traced its spiritual heritage back to this Ethiopian official. Church history also says some things about revival taking place in Africa. Let me ask you a question. The Spirit of the Lord calls you into unlikely places to meet people who don't look like you. The question is, will you go? Will you go? When the Spirit prompts you, will you go? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for helping us to know you and make you known. Help us, Lord, to live the Spirit-prompted life. A life that is marked by a mission to make disciples of Christ. That when the Spirit of the Lord prompts us, we will go wherever you send us. We will go to whomever you send us. And we will get good at introducing people to Jesus. And our benediction, as I close, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Be blessed. Amen.